Whether I'm turkey hunting, scouting, or glassing for game, I never go into the woods without my Vortex Optics. With their VIP warranty, I can go with confidence because it'll replace any glass damaged in the woods. I dropped my binoculars out of the deer stand last fall, and Vortex got me fixed up and back in the tree in no time. Vortex makes the highest quality and affordable rangefinders, binoculars, and scopes on the market. Y'all check them out at vortexoptics.com. Support for this episode comes from Missouri-based Kuat Racks. For trailblazing rides or Class 4 river drops, Kuat makes racks that help get your gear where you want to be. Their new Class 4 kayak rack locks, folds, and stacks up easily for hauling and stowing your gear. Not to mention, you'll want to keep a Class 4 on the roof at all times because it actually looks good up there. Kuat, because you love your bike and your kayak. Get your next adventure on your vehicle at Kuat, that's K-U-A-T dot com. And I'd float with a headlamp down the buffalo to where I then put my kayak on the bank, put on the ghillie suit, and stalk it through the river cane where I'd get within 28 and a half yards. And I'd shoot him with my second pin, a little bit low, knowing he made duck, and he didn't go 20. You're listening to the Ozark Podcast. We sit down with men and women from the Ozarks that have a passion for the outdoors. Our aim is to listen, learn, and pass along their knowledge and experiences to help you become a better outdoorsman. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the Ozark Podcast. We are here in Northwest Arkansas, which doesn't happen all that often. Home base. Home base. Typically on, on Tuesday nights when we record, we are putting rubber to the road. We are out traveling the Ozarks, going to find our next guest. And it's kind of nice to be at home for once this week. We were in Deer, Arkansas last week. So we've been traveling further recently. <laughs> and I, I actually love it because we, we get to see some cool places and meet some cool people. And it's always a beautiful drive. Oh, for sure. Literally, no matter where you go. I mean, it's the Ozarks. The Rolling Hills. What are you talking about? It's always beautiful. Yeah. But yeah, we're we're at home base. We're here, Kyle, at your house. Thanks for having us, man. Thanks for being here. Hey, okay. thanks, man. What Damn. A guy. Sorry the traffic. I've never been bad. to your house before. <laughs> That's a lie. <laughs> Every Thursday morning, I'm Cold here. face lie. Wow, <laughs> gorgeous place here. Wow. Yeah, dude. Wow. You like what, I, what I've done with the place? These cool. walls are, they're nice. Good walls. Yeah, <laughs> really good walls. <laughs> <laughs> anyways, anyways, anyways. Um, we are doing a uh, internal episode, and and it's not often that we get to do this. Um, you know, typically we're talking with guests, and we we try really hard to not make the show about us in any mm-hmm. way, shape, or form. Um, but sometimes it's nice just to get to connect directly with our audience. We've got some stories. We've got some updates on on things we've been doing since the last time we checked in, which I look back and it was like August sixteenth. So it's been well over two months since we kind of checked in last. And y'all have had a lot happen. There's been we've had a lot. We did. We. But y'all in particular, as of recent, with the squirrel cookoff. Yeah, yeah, kind of starting there. I mean, obviously, if if you guys have been following us on social media and stuff like that, we post a lot about it. Kyle, you were running around doing stories, talking with chefs, and dude, next year I want like a whole crew. That's what I. That's what I landed on. Me with an iPhone, not a terrible approach. And the amount of people that I'd say, hey, I'm with the Ozark Podcast, can I film you for our story? And they would get really fired up about it as <laughs> if it meant something was yeah. really funny. <laughs> yeah. It was like, it's just for our personal thing, man. Like, we love what y'all are doing. I want a whole crew next year. Mm-hmm. Multiple people, legit cameras. You know those YouTube mics that, I mean, those videos are overdone and kind of annoying, but like the, 
walk up, hey, and they talk to people the on tiny the street. Little yeah, black those things. <laughs> yeah. I want that for next year for the squirrel cook-off because there were some stories and some recipes and some personalities that I would have loved to have spent just way more time around. Yeah. Do you have one that, like, stood out that you talked to? Oh, man. Putting them on the Yeah, you really are. I did, I did. <laughs> there was a team... Man, I don't even know where they're from. I'm sorry if they're listening. <laughs> but they they made some barbecue squirrel that then they had like a blueberry reduction and brown sugar sauce that went with it. Mm-hmm. And they were doing it by the spoon because Ooh. it was so popular that you wouldn't get like a piece. You got a spoon mm. of a little piece of meat and then your your sugar and your yeah. reduction or whatever. And there was a line, uh, probably 100 people long. Just a taster. Just to taste it. You got a taste? Oh, yeah. Oh, baby. It's fantastic. Yeah. So that was probably my favorite. Okay. Tasted out yeah. the most. There were a lot of different teams, lots of different foods. Mm-hmm. You were judging. Yeah. I, I got to judge, which is kind of funny. Whenever we did Joe Wilson's interview back a long time ago, over the summer, Joe had mentioned it after we were done recording. He was like, hey, I think I might need another judge. Like, would you want to do it? And I was like, duh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Um, but I was like, but you know, like totally no worries. Like, just let me know if you need me. Well, it was like, it had been so many weeks and he's been so busy putting that thing together. I mean, it is, it is a circus of trying to, you know, coordinate the logistics of the the parking and the shuttles and all the vendors and the events and all the teams. He had, he said he had like 10 teams dropped Dude, out. I heard he called the mayor to get school buses. Yeah. Like that level of just trying to pull people in to make it all happen. Oh man, he, he and, and whoever was helping him, his team, I mean, they put it together just like, what a crazy event. But um, yeah, I just hadn't heard from him. And it was like the night before the event, I was like, I need to text him. Like, I'm not expecting at this point to be a judge. So I just texted him. I was like, hey, looking forward to the cook-off tomorrow. Um, we'll be there. Just let me know if you need any help. And he texted me back. He was like, yes. <laughs> so I'm like, cool. Yeah. He'll see me there. Cool. <laughs> I wake up the next morning. He calls me. It's like 11 AM judging starts at 12. He was like, um, he calls me. He's like, Hey, where are you at? And I was like, Oh yeah, man, I'm, I'm on my way there. I'll, I'll be there in like 30 minutes. He's like, judging starts at 12. You better be here before then. And I was like, Oh boy, like we're doing it. <laughs> so I get in the car. I'm flustered. I'm calling Kyle cause he's a little bit ahead of me and there's all this traffic. And so I finally get there and, and yeah, it's like, I get there just in the nick of time, go in. And as soon as I sit down, they start bringing in dishes of squirrel. Mm-hmm. And so like, I'm flustered, but it was awesome. I mean, the dishes and just the variety of different foods. And I mean, there was Thai squirrel, there was Indian squirrel, there was more classic dishes, there was stuff from who knows where. I mean, all over yeah. the world, different types of cuisines. And there was more non-traditional stuff than there was traditional dishes, um, which I was impressed by, but... Same question as I asked Mr. Plunkett, except I'm going to expand it. What were, like, the three that stood out? You don't have to say good or bad, but, like, which ones do you remember? Dishes? Yeah. <clears throat> so the the one that stands out the most was the squirrel cow soy. And, and this was, like, a Thai-inspired squirrel dish that, I mean, it was, like, I would pay $15 a bowl for this stuff mm. in, in a restaurant. It was It was that good. So that one stood out. There was a squirrel tikka masala, Ooh. which I'm a big fan of chicken tikka masala. Yeah. And did they have some naan with it? Yeah. So they did a, um, they did a, I'm looking at it right here. It was kind of like a pita style naan. And I think they did it with like bone broth, like squirrel bone broth. Cause you had to incorporate squirrel into each of your dishes. Yeah. So I think they maybe soaked it in squirrel bone broth and then fried it. That's. And so that one was super good. And then, um, 
There was a, uh, this one was, was good. It was a bacon wrap squirrel filet with Cajun grits and squirrel confit. And that was served with a balsamic um, squirrel Brussels. And there was like a little blackberry compote right there on the side. And So what tray or dish won? That's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> Which one did you did you vote? Were those your top three that you actually voted? Like So you vote you rank every every one of them. Well, if you want to hear who who won, you can listen to the Bear Grease render. Yeah, it was on no, the they, Clay talks about it. Clay talks about it on the render. Okay. Um and I I can't for the life of me remember what it was. I didn't actually get to try that dish because there were thirty five teams, two tables of like ten judges, and so everybody got half like I had um, 18 dishes to try the other table. 18? Yeah. And it was like two bites at least of each because there's a main and a side. It was a lot. Wow. I was stuffed by the end. Yeah. But um, yeah, I don't, I didn't actually get to try the one that won because the other table had it and I just heard that it was good. But at this point, I've forgotten what it was. Um, but yeah, I know Joe Wilson on the Squirrel Cook-Off page, they posted it and it's on the render. Um, so you can find it there. Yeah. Um, Speaking of the render... And then, so, man, what a day. Like, crazy fun, just all kind, meeting all kinds of people, people who know of the podcast, some people who don't. And then at the end of the day, so Clay was there, and he was like, hey, man, um, he was talking to you, Kyle, right? What did he say to you? We were talking about the bear hunt that we just finished up. Because that was like the weekend before, right? It was. Uh, the, yeah. That weekend before the squirrel cook-off, we'd, we'd been bear hunting and, and got a bear. Y'all have heard that story already. We, we've talked about it. Uh, and then I, I saw that he and Steve had got a moose in Alaska. So I was just asking him about that. I was like, dude, that's like a dream hunt. <laughs> like, tell me about that story because yeah. that is so cool. And uh, he's kind of just hanging out and looking around. He's like, hey, we're doing a render. We're going to talk about the cook-off and Joe Wilson and the legacy of squirrel hunting and all that kind of stuff. Would either of you guys want to jump on? I was like, yes, Clay, I'd be honored. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And then realized because we were talking about the render would make more sense for you to jump on. Yeah. So you jumped on the render. On the render, and yeah, you were that man's a cool circle. I felt very out of my league. I'll just be <laughs> honest. Like, so um, it was it was Clay, it was um, Brent Reeves, Kevin Murphy. Which to start the render, Clay opens up with, "This is the greatest small game hunter of all time." You're he, like, I'm Ooh. like, oh wow, like I'm sitting across from this guy. Um, he's dressed to the nines, got his like amazing camo one <laughs> one piece on, like jumpsuit it was so cool barefoot right there recording had a squirrel dog with him squirrel dog with him and then next to him and next to me was um malcolm reed from how to barbecue right which i know my brother is a big fan of and so i was sitting right next to like how on earth is this real like my brother's gonna be so it was truly the most eclectic mix of human beings around one table on a podcast i've ever seen absolutely and then joe wilson founder of the squirrel cook-off and then me and i was like (laughs) cool happy to be here let's talk squirrel (laughs) and so yeah so that was cool so if y'all hadn't heard that uh, that was just kind of a plug for um, the bear grease and and going to check that episode out but yeah, man lots of fun great event joe did a great job one connection i'm excited about and i'm i Came home and told my wife, like, when it gets close to Christmas, we're figuring out how to do this. And it was Rob Connolly, who owns Bull Rush. Yes. Out of St. Louis. In St. Louis. And it's in Ozark. I, I will mess this up. So, Rob, if you're listening, please don't. <laughs> please don't judge us. But it's an Ozark-inspired, if not wholly source, kind of farm-to-table, James Beard award-winning, kind of like Michelin-star-type tiered restaurant yes. in St. Louis. Yeah. Which is so fascinating. So cool. 
I started following him on social media and like he's literally always like trying new foods and like testing new things out and he's sourcing locally grown foods and mm-hmm. foraging for mushrooms and all kinds of stuff and then he incorporates it into his dishes which is from my understanding is like he talks through every dish as he serves it in the restaurant to his guests and like so cool just the the level that you could take Ozark cuisine which people might see as kind of like hillbilly lowly backwoods people eating on some you know fried squirrel and stuff like that but he elevates it to a point where it's like oh no this stuff is you know 100 bucks a plate or it's, it's legit it's legit it's like chef's table mm-hmm. but ozarks yeah yeah dude cool. i'm i'm finding a way to get to st louis this year yeah to go to that restaurant we should yeah we should go up there kind of work it into a, a little vacation with the wives the family and interview then, them and then do a little interview with them now we're talking am i invited to this it sounds nah. like i'm not <laughs> yeah you're man. always invited dan you can come dan you can come all right. Thanks. Another thing, this is kind of out of left field. It's a little bit out of season. I know we're right in the middle of deer season and stuff's going on there. But way back in the summer, we actually recorded something uh, with Andrew McNeese of Bluffline Media. We were featured in a film that he put out, and it's actually a part of a series called Fly Fish America. And the specific one was Fly Fish Missouri, being here in the Ozarks. Which is a, it's a proud claim for us because we are Ozarks. From Arkansas, but we love our we love our yeah. Missouri friends. We're actually doing a better job, I think, of getting into Missouri. We are trying, but we are invited to come fish in Missouri. Yeah, and being fly fishermen, I mean, is amazing, dude. Yeah. And and I mean to to go up to Missouri and see like the beauty. It's everywhere in the Ozarks. There there are rivers and streams. There that crystal clear water coming off the limestone, spring fed a lot of cases. And um, I mean, it's just as pretty, if not more pretty, in in some places up there on some of those streams where mm-hmm. you're catching those native Ozark smallmouth bass, going after trout that are up there in those, like I said, spring-fed mm-hmm. streams and creeks. Dude, those blue-collar fish, man. Oh, man, you got to love them. But that's that's just a quick plug for um, Bluffline Media, Flyfish America, Missouri Colon, series. Missouri. <laughs> I think it's just Flyfish Missouri on yeah. YouTube. Yeah, yeah. So y'all go check that out. Beautiful video. Like, yeah, it's his he best video it. yet. It was awesome. He's a star. Really I think that one already has more views than the the buffalo video yeah. that he did undammed undammed yeah. that's right so and we had a guest cool reach video. out and say that they found the podcast or a listener not a guest no way through the through the video yeah i don't remember who it was i don't remember who it was either but you some one of y'all asked like how'd you find us and he's like oh fly fish missouri we're yeah like, oh cool yeah because y'all were there interviewing did you already say it ryan walker we didn't say but okay. yeah we were there the ryan walker episode that we did yeah he like mcneese kind of worked that interview into yeah. his narrative the video. within mm-hmm. the video so that was a great interview too it was actually right on the yeah, river if y'all want to hear ryan walker's episode it's yeah it's there yeah you can listen yeah. to it <laughs> so we, we want to go back we've done this a couple times now um and we're kind of re-featuring some of the high points from our episodes recently from the last time that we did an internal episode and this is like y'all have reacted to some of these as we've put them on social media and so we kind of just wanted to go back and like pick some of the ones that like really popped off that y'all really liked and commented on and shared and stuff like that. And then kind of give y'all a little bit of like our take on it, the behind the scenes. Um, so I was going to start with something that just came out. It was a story that was told on Clay Newcomb's episode where he was bear hunting in Alaska or Canada, Alaska, Alaska. And um, he killed a bear off of a boogie board, the boogie board bear. The Boogie Board Bear. And so the episode just came out on Meat Eater's YouTube. And so I was going to go back and 
play this real. So we were hunting Southeast Alaska and the way that you hunt the bears there is the, the tides swing very widely. And basically when this low tide bears come down and feed on blue mussels and crabs and fish and different stuff. Steve was like, man, I've always wanted to use a wetsuit and just swim up to him. That was about it. And I, I just said, well, let's do it. And he had the idea of a boogie board, spray painted it, put some hay string through it and tied my bow onto that boogie board. There's a small island out from a point where we'd been seeing a bunch of bears. We saw this bear from the island, jumped in, swam across a canal. We're out in the middle of this canal, and the bear pops up like within bow range. At this point, I wasn't worried about the bow. The bow's yeah. underwater. Swim just right up to it, 12 yards, raised up, shoot, bear falls, rolls. If it rolled one more time, it rolled in the ocean. Dude, that's epic. That's amazing. It'll be an episode of, pretty sure an episode of Meat Eater. There's a lot of things to know about hunting turkeys in the Ozarks, but there's two things I know for sure. One, it's that turkeys have really good eyesight, so your camo matters. Canis makes an incredible turkey camo. It is comfortable, it is breathable, blends into the background like no other. It is the perfect camouflage for those long sits back up against a white oak tree, hearing those hens and gobblers hold up 200 yards away as I'm just waiting for them to come in. The second thing you got to know is you have to be prepared for anything. Whether it's a tom sneaking up behind you or a rainstorm coming at you out of nowhere, Canis has you covered. From the Nunavut rain jacket to the chamois fleece hoodie to the alpine pant with built-in knee pads, make sure you have Canis on you for this upcoming turkey season. Use our discount code OZARK for 15% off website or in-store, and good luck this turkey season. Sadly, hunting season in the Ozarks has come to an end. But in these hills and haulers, it's always been the off-season where woodsmen dialed in their equipment to get ready for the next hunt. And there is no better time to dial in your shot grouping with some new gear from Umarex. Our friends over at Umarex produce some of the most accurate air-powered rifles in the world, with everything from 22 caliber guns for squirrels and rabbits, 30 calibers for coyotes, bobcats, and coons, all the way up to 50 caliber air rifles that can take down white-tailed deer, feral hogs, and bear. Umarex leads the industry in accuracy and innovation, making some of the best hunting air guns on the market, hands down. Head on over to umarexusa.com and use our discount code OZARKAIR for 12% off your entire order and start getting dialed in for your next hunt. So, obviously, an, an epic story I've already seen a bunch of people commenting on their YouTube of like, what on earth? This is one of the coolest hunting stories I've ever seen. Kyle, have you gone, gotten a chance to go and actually watch the video? Oh, yeah. I think I watched it within the first day that it was out. <laughs> Mostly because he had told us the story. And if you listen to our episode with Clay, you hear either, I think it was me, may have been you, asking when he's kind of getting to that story, like, are you allowed to share this? Because I know this was kind of a big deal. Yeah. It's done some Instagram stuff. He showing, posted a picture yeah, of it. Like the bear right on the coast and all of that. So I was like, I don't want to like get in y'all's space if that's not cool. He's like, no, no I'll, I'll talk to you guys, which was really fun. So we got to hear it from him firsthand. And uh, watching it unfold on Meat Eater and then knowing the conversation we had had with him, I feel like we got to hear some of the color and some of the details that the video may have left out. Yeah. It was kind of quick it on, was. on the video itself. There's a lot of fishing in the video, which was really cool. Um, their buddy that they're with, his bear, and then Clay's bear. And then they obviously cook it and they eat it and talk about it and that kind of stuff. Right. But 
as far as like how he approached it and all the ins and outs and like getting the wetsuit before and some of those things that we got to hear from him personally made that story as watching it so much more fun. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I was cracking up when he was cooking it in the actual episode on YouTube and he like way oversalted it. (laughs) He like Steve's giving him crap for it. Yeah, he dumped a pile of salt on it because this was Daniel for you. They always say that... um, a lot of people who hunt bears on the coastal regions, they always say bears are like, oh, they have this super fishy flavor. They don't taste good. And Clay in the episode, he's like, well, I've never actually tried a coastal bear. I've always hunted bears in the Washita's and the Ozarks. So this was his first chance to try it. So he was saying in the episode, and he like totally overseasoned it with salt. <laughs> so they all try it, and they're all like, yeah, <laughs> pretty salt. That's pretty. Uh, tastes like salt water. Tastes like salt, man. I don't know. But that was funny. <laughs> I was going to ask you as a part of this. So speaking of epic hunts, if that's like, I love the creativity that went into that hunt. Oh, yeah. And thinking about like trying something new. You know, he gave credit to Steve for coming up with that idea. If you had to put together like a creative kind of epic dream hunt in the Ozarks, what what would be your thing? What mm. would you try to do? Do I get to steal other people's ideas? Yes. Sure. Really am on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have it. I think I know. Ozarks, right? I can't. Ozarks, yeah. I can't like jet ski to a polar bear or something. <laughs> something crazy. <laughs> it's got to be. As long as that polar bear is in the Ozarks. <laughs> well, I don't think we have any of those. <laughs> Escape from the zoo. <laughs> the jury's out on the mountain lion still, but <laughs> yeah. I'm going to start a new rumor that we have the Ozark polar bear. You got to watch out for that there with polar the howler bear. and the hellbender and whatever else. Oh, he's, <laughs> out. he's out there. Dude, that's going to be on an episode someday. Um, Dream hunt. I would go to the Buffalo National River, and I would get on a kayak, a one-person kayak. That's a uh, a sit-on-top, and I would pack a ghillie suit. And I would have a target buck that I knew of somehow. Maybe cameras. I've been kind of patterning this deer. You've already been scouting. Already been scouting. Okay. But I knew by the way the wind worked, I could never get in on where this buck has been unless it's by the river. Uh, and I also know somehow it's dream world, right? <laughs> that to get in at the right time and get this deer when I need to get him, when the rent, that when the wind is in my favor and all of that, it it means I have to hunt from the ground. So there's no like pre hanging a stand or getting into a tree with a saddle or any of that kind of stuff. Like it's. I've got to go in and be stealthy it's and like stalk this kind thing. Kind of back to the basics. Right. And since it's a dream, it's a 195-inch Arkansas buck. Ooh. It's like, <laughs> okay. it's like record book, yeah. right? And so I would get in my kayak at 3.45 in the morning, day of, probably float for two miles, because why not? Because it's dream hunt. <laughs> this is a very detailed dream. <laughs> yeah, man. You put me on the spot, I'm going to dream. <laughs> I'm dreaming out loud I'd here. like it. I'd like it. And I'd float with a headlamp down the buffalo, to where I then put my kayak on the bank, put on the ghillie suit with a bow, and stalk it through the river cane up into the field where this buck is living, where I'd get within 28 and a half yards. <laughs> and I'd shoot him with my second pin, a little bit low, knowing he made duck. And he mm. didn't go 20. Oh, baby. There it is. And then... That was... Oh, we're not done. <laughs> <laughs> A big old turkey. <laughs> Not legal in Arkansas in the fall. Uh, uh, then I'd put him on my kayak and float him out, and uh, y'all would come pick him up with me. I'd be there at the end. Yep, you'd be there at the end. Be your truck, your kayak. Heck yeah, man. Be pulling you out of there, and then we'd yeah. celebrate. You didn't ask me my dream hunt. Dream. <laughs> I don't really have a dream hunt, but there's this island on Beaver, Beaver Lake that I've seen twice now, 
deer swimming across too. Mm. I think it'd be really cool to hunt that. That's island. core ground. We can it's, hunt that. It's tiny too. Deer like Island. It's, <laughs> nice. It's actually over by your old property. Oh. It's right across the way. That little like way you can go through right yeah. over there. Yeah. Let's just tell everyone right exactly where it is. <laughs> they don't know where your property is. <laughs> no, I know. I know. But it, I do. Yeah, but you do. <laughs> and it's like I've seen one time it was just a doe, and then I saw a doe and her fawn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like just swimming across. <laughs> I know. Stop. Her kid. Dude, her my- and it was like, I was like, oh my gosh, like we're in the boat and that's a brilliant. Like they can be there forever. They don't. They, they don't need anything else. But I don't know if <laughs> they might have food on there. Food on there. <laughs> yeah. I've seen. Out. I've seen videos of bears swimming across Beaver Lake, mm-hmm. and people on a jet ski like pull up next to it. I don't he's know how like, safe that is. He's like, what's <laughs> up? <laughs> All right, we got to move on. Next one. So this is kind of speaking of back to what you were saying, Kyle. Floating in the dark with your headlamp at about three forty-five, trying to get in twenty-eight and a half yards. Here's one from uh, Rustin Johnson's episode. This one, of all the ones that we posted, this one blew up. Like, has over a million views on Facebook. It's got over 500,000 on Instagram. For some reason, people really, really relate to this reel. It's because everybody feels this way. <laughs> and I refuse to believe the 10% of guys who are like, y'all are a bunch of wussies. I've never been scared in the dark. Everybody has a scared in the dark story, dear hunting. That is true. It's so relatable. That is true. All right, so here it is. I really don't want to say this, but I'm a little scared of the dark. I've There's had, not a deer hunter who's listening who's not also going to relate to that. Yeah. And if they don't, they're lying. Two years ago, I was walking out. I could hear footsteps. Like, as I was walking, I stopped. I hear, like, one more, and it stops. And I'm like, okay, that's a coincidence, whatever. I start walking, and I hear the footsteps again. And I pause, and I hear a ch No! Come on! And I walk a little bit longer, and I keep hearing it. Back behind me, sounds like 15, 20 yards. And I stop again, and I hear one ch And I'm like, no, no. no. I threw my light on, and I, like, backpedaled. And I went, And and whatever it was ran away. I didn't know what it was. I walked out like this the whole time. My wife thinks it was a mountain lion, but I don't don't think it was. It's it's an Ozark Sasquatch. I don't know what it was. It was was crazy. Oh, I love the mating call that you did. (laughs) I love that story. I was, when he was telling the story like live there in person, I was not expecting him to go. I was so waiting for like him to just like grunt or do something like normal, be like rah, like try to scare it away. And when he did that, I lost it, man. I was dying laughing. <laughs> he did. He did a really good job telling that. He's he's Rustin. You are a very good storyteller, dude. One of the best. We thank you. <laughs> we have had so many people commenting and telling their funny, scary stories from the woods, dude. I've loved just reading them. So many good comments. Actually, I'm gonna go find some to to read as as you're looking. I just want to put it out there that Daniel may or may not actually believe in Sasquatch. What? It's true. No. And I just don't know how I feel about that. No. Because well, I'm a I'm a firm uh you don't believe? believer in the Sasquatch man. Well, funny enough. I am, I'm sorry. Like one of the first times I went over to Kyle Veet's house, stayed the night, his dad told a Bigfoot slash Sasquatch story. And it was one of the scariest stories. And your dad's a really was good storyteller. story? Like he had an actual... He, he had one where he was like in the woods with a buddy. He, I don't... Yes. I, I'm going to butcher it. But like... He they has end a up personal like, story. Can we tell it? They end up like running downhill. And at the last... Like they that. look back uphill. And they turn around and they run into the Sasquatch. And it was dude, epic. And I remember no. being like, I'm out, dude. 
At the same time, someone in an ape costume ran through the room. Okay. So, some context here. (laughs) Y'all were five. (laughs) So, this was in fifth grade at my birthday party. And, yes, my dad told the story of this encounter that he had uh, when he was in college because he went to Arkansas Tech. Yeah. Was born in Russellville um, and had the story of him and his friends out camping. And they think that they saw a Sasquatch and they run down this hill and they barely make it out alive, basically, is kind of the gist of it. I don't remember it all that well, or I would tell it. Uh, but yes, he told this story on my fifth birthday, not fifth birthday, however old you are when you're in fifth grade. And all of our, all my buddies were over. And then our neighbor came over in a gorilla costume and oh. stormed in the house to intentionally scare us all. And there were several of my friends who were never the same after that. <laughs> they went home. They, they they went home. They wept and cried and went home. <laughs> yeah, I won't embarrass Dude, one of my good buddies. <laughs> I think I peed my pants a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say one of our buddies. Literally that night, he will he will go unnamed, but he that night was like, "Kyle, can I sleep with you in your bed?" <laughs> I'm like, "Dude, we're in fifth grade, man." Like, it wasn't me. It wasn't you. Yeah. But, um, Did so you get some comments? I'm gonna just read the first one that comes to my mind or comes up on my screen. All right. Well, I am looking through it, and there's actually there's so many. I can't even pick one. They're they're all too good and unique in their own right. So if y'all, you have thirty minutes to kill, it's yeah, worth it. Yeah. Go check out some of these stories. They're pretty wild. I okay. So I was I wanted to say something to not rebut you at all because I agree with you that everyone has a moment in the woods where they are scared. What I was gonna say is there are some times where I actually really enjoy being alone in the dark, in the woods. Not in like a way that's like, um, not in like a creepy way, but just like I feel my my senses like heightened to like the that 1,000th degree, knowing that I'm so vulnerable and partially because I'm like in that kind of like spooky like mindset. Mm-hmm. But there are times actually where I will say like, I, I do like that. Like I kind of crave like, I feel like I'm back in like, a thousand years ago, I'm by myself in the woods, in the dark, and like I'm hunting. You know, like that's a very core like feeling. So, yes, I'm scared. I'm very heightened. Like my senses are are very heightened, and I'm aware of everything. But it's because of like there's that raw connection back to like being a hunter. I think. Oh, I agree. And I'm not saying everybody who commented or found that relatable says that they hate every time they're in the woods. I was saying the few people that comment commented that were like. Y'all are terrible human beings, essentially, for being scared in the <laughs> yeah. woods. We're dumb. Wussies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, there were some of those, too. I think, yeah, you can overcompensate for some ego problems if you feel like you've, you're never scared of anything. It's like, dude, just admit. <laughs> you yeah, like, probably... It's, it's okay to be scared. You've probably been scared before in your life. Yeah. But I'm with you. I actually love that feeling. But I love that feeling in the morning. Mm. If it's early and I know the sun is coming. I don't love that feeling in the evening. Yeah. yeah. If I'm going to get panicky in the woods at all, it's tracking something in the dark solo or y'all have probably had these moments too where it's like, the trail should be here, but it's not. <laughs> like, I'm a little bit and lost, And you kind of get a little bit lost and a little bit freaked out. Yeah. That's a real, a real like, yeah. I don't know, panic moment in you my know, mind. That is true. Being, We've had a story like that. Yes, we have. Being lost is the opposite of fun. It's terrible. Like Y'all that, did that to me once. What do you mean we did that? Two you? years ago, with, oh, just uh, said with meet, bear. meet us down at the bottom. Yeah, you were like, 
meet us down there. And I'm like, uh, what? I didn't have a, I didn't have a headlamp or anything. You found us though. I did, but it, I was freaked out, but my senses were heightened. I was like, yeah. True outdoors. So so you like connected with your like primal. But it was, I was not ready for, I was like, oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. what am I doing? Yeah. But you did it, man. You powered through and you were glad you did. And I was scared. I wonder how much time it takes being in that scenario to where you are desensitized a little bit. Like we're so, it's electric, it's instant. I'm never without light. Yeah. I mean, I, it lives in my pocket even. I can turn the flash on, on my phone. Yeah. If I turn the lights off in my living room to go to bed, I turn on my phone flashlights so I don't stub my toe. <laughs> yeah. like, to get to your, yeah, from your living room to, to your bedroom. To the bedroom yeah. uh, where, the, you know, where the lights might be on. Yeah. <laughs> Probably aren't at that point. But that's just, I mean, so common. You're right. Like it sets you back a few thousand years at least yeah. where it's just you in the woods. I did. There were some comments of people who were like, you know what? Like I, I hear you, but I actually grew up like going out to the barn in the wood, like in the country to get firewood or to put away the cows, the horses, whatever it was. And like, it seemed like those people were like, it just doesn't bother me anymore. Like those people. Yeah. Like that's kind of, I those believe people. those people. Totally. Yeah, I do too. I do too. Yeah. So do you believe in the Sasquatch, Kyle? No, I don't. Dan, sorry. May or may not jury, if, jury's if out. Deep down, like I had to take a, like a lie detector test. Uh-huh. I would say no, it doesn't exist. Yeah. All right. But until I have to take a lie detector test <laughs> on that, I think that there's a chance oh. that it lives. Dude, I mean, Colorado had a video come out like last week. <laughs> yeah. Of some guy poses irrefutable <laughs> evidence from a train. Yeah. I, yeah, I saw that. Well, one. they hired Sasquatch actor for the those uh beef jerky commercials, and it's a real that's a real Sasquatch. Well, so you got to be clear here because... Real actor, fake person. It's real. True. The suit is real, but <laughs> is the creature real? I just think the idea has become so, you know, dug into our culture that it's real now. Yeah. So, I mean, this is an interesting an interesting kind of rabbit trail here. Uh-oh. What is it about the human psyche and hunters and outdoorsmen in general that want something like that to exist? Like, why do we feel a need? I'm just open conversation Ooh. of the room is it want? why do we i think it's a want why do we want that to exist i have a theory there's something in mystery we like mystery i think i think it's also the combination of like man and beast okay out and you you are we're men and women out in the woods like hunting beasts and so you <clears> kind of <throat> want there to be like there's that middle ground though there's that <laughs> weird gray animal that's mm. like they actually hunt man and beast I think, about that. I think the idea for me is I kind of want it to be real because it would it would demonstrate the fact that humans don't know as much as we think we know. And like there are still... Which is good for us. Yeah. And there are still places that are so remote and so untouched and places that we will never see or interact with that like they're just out there. And you kind of want to think that there are. Like you, you kind of don't want to think that we've found everything and we've explored everything and everything is that's ever going to be known is already known because I don't think that's at all true. One, but two, I think that nobody wants that to be true. That's my theory. What do you, what's yours? Well, it's too long to get into entirely. Okay. I've actually put too much thought towards these types of things, but mostly because it's dealing with Greek mythology, like culture, evolution of culture. The fact that we're biologically wired to be scared of things that look almost human but aren't. Mm. Like that's a that's like a biological, phys- physiological fact that you can have something that is almost human enough but isn't, that it's off, that human brains flip out over. Like it's an like, AI robot. 
like something like there's a scientific term and I have to Google it. But yes, okay. something like that where you're like, that's not real. Yeah, like that's like, not it's too close. Yeah. So it's showing that like there's been something in cultural history history or biological history, however you want to go that route of like we're wired to not trust those things. Yeah. That I think this is my this is my take. <laughs> I think human beings are dissatisfied with the fact that they have climbed to the top of the food chain forever and that there's there's nothing in the woods i mean other there's than like a, a lion or a bear or whatever <clears throat> but there's nothing there's not a species that has topped them i think it's human ego <laughs> like i think it's we've made it to the top and we're dissatisfied we need there to be something that could be in the woods that could get us yeah. that's guaranteed to to win the fight every time <clears throat> Really and I know a bear take. or a tiger oh. or whatever is going to win the fight every time, but like we're still looking at that as like that's a beast, a Sasquatch or a some like cryptoid. Like that's not like that's getting out of just the beast world into the mystical, spiritual, like mm. freaky world. So does so those I think we just color? create narratives and run with them, and they stick and they're fun for the most part. But there's a small part of everybody that's like I kind of want that to be real. So like even something like the Ozark Howler, oh yeah, would fit in that. Yeah. Okay. That's an interesting yeah, take. The, the beast, cat, bear. Which thing, th we the, just we're just past Halloween, and so yeah, all this myth stuff, man. I don't know thoughts on that. It's interesting. Um, you've put a lot of thought to that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's true. I like that. I I yes. <laughs> I think that's true. Check. Well, it's because like we, you know, I think humans are always can, trying to yeah. be the top of whatever, yeah. and yeah. the fact that we reached it in the natural world. We are a little bit dissatisfied We're with the fact that we have it. Yeah. It's kind of the idea of like escalation. Like you've heard it. Like the only reason people say it's like the only reason the Joker showed up is because Batman. So he had to have an equal. <clears throat> and so I think <clears throat> for myths or even conspiracy theories about like crazy creatures, humans like we want a rival. Like we want something that we can, that can be competitive with us. And not to say that it's not competitive to get like food on the table to kill an animal. It is, but... You want something like you said closer to human that can almost like think and reason like us, and mm -hmm. so that's out of that Sasquatch was almost subconsciously is what you're saying subconsciously invented. Yep. Do you <clears throat> so do you think that Sasquatch is like? Do you think he would be that thing that's above us on the food chain? Because in my mind, like even if that was true, like if if he was real, he's no. I mean, yeah, he's like more upright and he's kind of more humanoid, but. You can still kill him with thirty out six. He could still kill you with a thirty out six. Yeah, but so could a bear. Well, I get oh, I with guess, a thirty out six. Yeah, yeah, I get. <laughs> like if he had a gun. <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah. I guess. Do you within, think he would do that? Do you think he would top us? Is that the idea? Is that where you're going? I think the potential being there is enough to keep the mystery alive. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's all it is. Okay. Like there was a time in human history where there would have been more predatory species on the landscape that would have been an actual threat to like a tribe or whatever yeah to where they're a legit threat i think eventually human beings get big enough and powerful enough and are tooled and weaponed enough to where they're not a threat anymore that then we had to start creating something bigger and meaner in these woods mm -hmm. that could be the threat interesting because and i'm not saying it happened like with us i think man back then like indians with the wendigo or old stories of the sasquatch or whatever i think that's when human beings began to become dissatisfied with the fact that they were the top of the food chain and didn't know what to do with it. I think it has a lot to do with um, back before a lot of like documentation and movies and books and 
shared knowledge, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that people couldn't explain. Oh yeah, you know, you're like people when we lived in in tribes and camps and you know traveling and on the frontiers, like you'd see something and you're like, I just can't explain that with anything else. And so I think some of those stories have just kind of like perpetuated into our day to day lives. And now it's like, I've heard this story a thousand times and from thousands of years ago and and now i believe there's a sasquatch yeah it's it's actually kind of some carryover from the enlightenment because the enlightenment is reason explaining belief right and that was relative i mean that was new thinking not that long ago a couple hundred years but before that all man had to go off of was you were looking for your belief to describe your reason like you're looking for reasoning within everything as like to back up your belief and so yeah. hopefully maybe some of that's carryover to where we we are now as a culture, kind of post-enlightenment, as we still need something that is just like untangible <laughs> and out there that we can't really describe. And it I don't know. And it's we're going Sasquatch. too far and too deep. But it's it, it, I believe I, what I'm what I'm getting at is I feel like those myths and those stories and some of those things I actually think are essential to being human. Yeah. I think we create them. I yeah. don't think they're real, but I I think they are essential to the human narrative of describing and understanding the fact that we know that we exist we're not like the animals that we pursue but we're we're dissatisfied with that fact that we're probably the top of the food chain <laughs> <laughs> we have we have covered sasquatch <laughs> yeah, we got there All this right. is good post post uh, halloween it. you know it is it so, is let's wrap it up so i've got another one from rustin here um and this was another one that was popping off but is not a new idea in itself. Um, so I thought this was an interesting one. Get you some acorns in your pocket and just have them ready. I'll drop a couple out of the tree stand to where it's thumping right under me. Oh. That noise is not going to spook them. And they hear it all the time. Just toss it up and let it hit. They hear that thump. That's like a dinner bell. Mm-hmm. Ding, ding. I'm going for it. But I'm so in for this strategy. In listening to that and going back, I've actually seen other people do this, not mm-hmm. with acorns, um, but like Jonathan Moreland down in South Arkansas, there's a video on YouTube of him doing that with persimmons. Mm-hmm. And I've just never heard anyone put it to acorns too and be like, oh, you can do this the same. And so I thought it was an interesting strategy. I know there was people who I talked to who were like, I never even thought about doing that. That's a good idea. Have you tried it since listening? I haven't, no. But wow, that's not because I haven't thought of it. It's just because I'm the way to, I'm usually going into the dark and I'm just trying to get to my tree and get up as fast as I can before the mm-hmm. sun comes up and burns me. I mean, it's one of those, like, should be a no-brainer idea as far as hunting deer. And I was surprised by how many people are like, oh, yeah, I know that. And me on the other end with everybody else going, wait, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> like, we can do that? Yeah. It's fantastic. Well, and it's interesting because a few people comment and they're like, oh, well, that's technically baiting. Where do you fall on that? Well, we live in a baiting is okay state. That's true. But do you, would you consider it baiting is kind of what I'm asking. No. Here's why. I'm also not like state game, game agency, right? But baiting, I feel like, is bringing food that was not previously on the landscape into the landscape to make it available. And if you're picking up acorns from the tree that you're hunting in just to drop them in the same spot, you're not baiting, right? What do you think? Dan, what do you I, think? I think you said it perfectly. It's you. I feel like baiting is bringing on new food sources. Yeah. Or even like drastically relocating food sources to a concentrated area. Mm-hmm. Whereas acorns, they're all over. All you're doing is kind of like rewinding time and saying, I'm actually dropping them like where I am. 
if that's baiting, I mean, I, I don't know what baiting is. <laughs> no, I I totally agree with like that the logic that I guess to to play devil's advocate. If I had to try to like put myself in the other's shoes, or like if I was like a game warden that was like pissed off that day, and I was gonna try to get you in trouble or something like that, I could see it being like, well, if you had to clearly define baiting, it would be maybe something along the lines of attracting wildlife with food. Or something that simple or influencing their actions. Yes, yeah, exactly. And so sense. by dropping something, even if it is from the landscape into an area that it's not already there and kind of influencing it by your own human hand, you are pulling them. You are trying to pull in wildlife to an area that they otherwise would not be going to. Let me play the devil's advocate to your devil's advocate. <laughs> because I saw this comment on Instagram. Does that change if it's rocks? Because some dude was like rocks work. And I'm like, oh, you're yeah, still getting you the thumb, you're still food. getting the effect. Right. They don't eat rocks. Right. Is it just because it's edible? Food. So if you're using rocks, then I would say you're calling. Yeah. You might as it's well be sound. using rattling antlers or a grunt. It's Yeah, it's the audio of it, which yeah. it is the audio of it too with the acorns. In this example, what he's talking about, hearing that dinner bell thumping on the ground. So I hear your devil's advocate to my devil's <laughs> advocate. Um <laughs> But I do think that technically you might be able to define it as using food to influence the behavior of wild animals. And but you bet it's okay with rocks. But that's not food. You're not. That's using what it. I'm saying. That so it's so not, that's why that guy said it. I think was so yeah. it's the same effect. <laughs> same effect, but you're not baiting. Yeah, per his definition. Well, yeah, I you're d- calling. Okay. I'd be curious though. I'd love to t- ask a game warden. I actually we should don't, ask yeah. Bill don't, Ruby, don't Captain Bill Ruby, answer. and see what see what he says. I'm sure in some places that that would be frowned upon or yeah. or not by the book. But it's a good tactic. Yeah, one well, and, and I mean Somewhere you have to know your legal. you have to know your laws. But it's a it's a splitting hairs type conversation when it gets to is it baiting or not. Yeah. When it comes to the Ozarks and deer hunting, especially these old mountain bucks trying to get them under your stand, dude, I think it's a great idea. Yeah. Like it's up there with good calling, good rattling, good scent control, yeah, good everything else we talk about. Right. I yeah, I think it's awesome. Yeah, yeah I do too. All right. This one is from our interview with Dr. Grant Woods up in Missouri. So let me play this one. I grew up, you turkey hunted, and you'd find the cow pies was scratched up the re- most recently. Turkey's using this field, man. I'm hunting here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You almost never said anymore. Rarely see where turkeys are scratching cow pies. Because every cow out there's got ivermectin or some parasite medicine going in it, and that comes out a toxic poop pile. The critters that used to break that down are dead. So you've seen cow pies out in the pasture. You can throw the frisbee. It just oxidized. They used to never happen. Three, four, five, six days later, that's gone. Flies, maggots, worms, dung beetles, they turned that into fertilizer. Now it's a toxic waste site on top of soil. It's laying there for a year or two. It's not growing any grass there. We got 80 cows pooping over an acre. Think how much grass you're losing. I had no idea, A, that we had dung beetles, or B, that cow poop used to actually just go away. So could you put cows on a property and not give them medicine? Oh, yeah. And go backwards in time and keep rebuilding? People do that. Those, those do. are Virginia bag farmers. What you're doing, you're moving the cows, mm-hmm. and then the smarter farmers follow the cattle about three days with the chicken wagon. The chickens act as the old migratory birds. They scratch in about by three days. The larvae are big enough that the chickens can eat. You're feeding your chickens protein, and you're cleaning up all the flies. And by the way, those pasture-raised eggs that got no medicine in them, those are high dollar eggs did you know that a earthworms were imported they're not native and that dung beetles were native on the ozark landscape no 
and no. Dude, that was like the fact of the show. No for idea. Me. Yeah. I had I had no clue. I mean, earthworms, they're everywhere. Everywhere. He, Absolutely everywhere. He was saying where were they they're, imported they're from? They're imported. He said that? Pretty sure he said they're not native, that they were brought in. Wow. Because the dung beetles started getting wiped out. No way. You, you don't know where they were. <laughs> Do we need to cut all of this? No, no, no. <laughs> I think he might have said that. I, I don't. Think. I honestly don't remember. It's it's hard because you do these and then it's like weeks later when you go to talk about it. Let me, I'm going to look it up. I'm pretty sure with, as a part of the conversation with Savannah Habitat with bald knobs, because he was talking about the bald knobbers and all of that kind of within Ozark lore, before fences were put up for cattle <clears throat> in a way that would like obstruct you know, cattle roaming through the whole, the whole, or bison or whatever it was, the predominant species that fertilized the ground, made sure plants were healthy and broke down poop was dung beetles. And now they're endangered. Yes. So we I had to bring something that. in to, I think it was earthworms. I think we had to bring in worms to like so make just, them do that. I just Googled it. Yes. You are a very good listener and you are correct. Oh. Little known secret. Almost every earthworm in most of the U.S. came from somewhere else. Native earthworms all but disappeared more than 10,000 years ago when glaciers from a pleistocene Pleistocene, Pleistocene ice age wiped them out, but a few survived further south. But today, virtually all earthworms north of Pennsylvania are non-native. Not include Wait. us. So, so ours are natives. Well, then, <laughs> then maybe they, <clears throat> maybe it was two of them. It is the earthworm and the dung beetle, and now it's up to the worm. Yeah, interesting. No, but that I mean, it does it does say that they're definitely not native in a large part of the U.S. Not specifically looking at the Ozarks here, but I did not know that and. It's funny the the dung beetles thing, um, man. I I guess I kind of always thought dung beetles were like in Africa or something like that, like maybe depicted in Lion King or yeah, like totally. cartoons or something that was just stuck with me. But I never even thought about them here and going to work and helping to break down manure to mm -hmm. go back into the soil. Dude, it's yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I I even told Doctor Woods this, but I thought that's what cow pies just did. Yeah, <laughs> they just turned into oxidized frisbees. And I told him the story of driving four-wheelers through them and being mad that it got on the four-wheeler. But I thought that's just how it was. And and really, in ignorance, didn't realize that there was a world in which that was not the case. Like, that would be broken down pretty quickly and actually sustain other wildlife around it, being beetles and maggots and flies and then turkeys on top of it. Yeah, absolutely. It's crazy. It's cool. I think the, the main thing for me about Grant uh, was just his whole philosophy on on land management and really like it's so different than what i grew up hearing and seeing done at deer camp and at the places that i hunted and with the people that i hunted which was in most cases you know hey we're out here we're putting out corn and feeders we're hunting over these bait sites and you know there might be a food plot here and there some clearings where we've put in some um clover or something like that but just his whole philosophy of it's not so much about all of that and making sure there's enough like corn in the feeders and there's enough, you know, protein on our bait sites and all that stuff. It's like, is the soil healthy? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like a total mind shift of focusing on something different. And he goes so far to the extent that like, if the soil is healthy, the plants will be healthy, the right plants will grow and therefore the deer will be healthy and you will achieve the results that you want to see in your deer herd as far as health and quality, which then will enhance antler growth. Yeah. Like that whole thing is so cool to me. Yeah. 
the science behind it and just the well thought out process that goes into that. And it just seems more right. It just seems more natural. He's the third person to say this phrase, like trying to make the land. And this is kind of regen, regenerative uh, agriculture, trying to bring the or make the land back to like pre-colonial. Mm-hmm. So Ryan Diener said it on our quail episode. Mm-hmm. Stephen Fuller said it when we went out to him. And then Dr. Grant Wood said it, not in that reel, but he said it in the episode. Yeah. And I was like, that's so interesting because, I mean, I grew up, quite frankly, in a suburb and I was like, this is how it always has been. Yeah. <laughs> like this, is it Bermuda or whatever the grass is? Like, yeah, this is what it's, it's fescue. Like, yeah, this is how America's looked. And he's like, no, actually. Yeah, yeah not at for all. For most of its existence, it didn't. And, and there's a reason why there's endangered species, dung beetles are going missing, earthworms, whatever, because... It's actually not healthy. Mm-hmm. To your point, if you just like get the soil healthy, naturally that's going to look like pre-colonial. Mm-hmm. That's just what it. That is just healthier. Like the Indians were so much better at managing the land than mm-hmm. we are. So I, that's just so interesting. It was, and for him to be able to like document all this stuff through his YouTube channel, their social media stuff, and actually like you actually get to see like it works. And for him yeah. to tell the story on the podcast, he mentioned it like before they bought the land, the largest deer that they antler wise that any was ever harvested on this property was like in the 130s the 140s and he was like within a couple years of us doing this and implementing this process we harvested a deer in the 160s 170s and it was just like yeah it like it works like i have proof i have evidence here's pictures look at all these deer now and if you do this it will work for you too like that's so compelling we've talked about this I think a couple times, maybe not on a recorded episode, but the idea that animals literally just go to the most efficient places. Like, they're not us and they're like, well, you know, I want to try this fast food. or Like, no, they just go, oh, this actually has my food source and my water and this has the best of it. That's just where they go. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. they go to wherever the best land is. And that's like quail too. Like, they will inhabit areas that fit them. Mm-hmm. They're not trying to survive on something that they can't, because they can't survive. Yeah, right. So it is kind of cool. It's like, oh, the... The wildlife will tell you if your land is healthy or not. You really You'll can't. See it. Whatever your beliefs are, it's like, yeah, there's proof just like in the animals showing up. I think that's just fascinating. Yeah, no, I did too. He had mentioned, I don't remember exactly how he phrased it in the episode, but unleashing nature's potential or unearthing nature's potential or creation's potential or something. And I just, I loved that idea that it's not about reworking or recreating or re building something that was taken away it's just like it's taking off the veneer mm. it's like taking off the mess yeah it's taking off the bermuda or the fescue or the, it's take it's that it's get rid of that or the cedar trees or the stuff that's not native and not good get rid of that burn it open it up whatever and then how it's supposed to be is how it will come back yeah mm. the release process so cool that's yeah, so cool that is You're releasing it back to its, mm-hmm. its potential yeah. Yeah, no, that that was a good way, good way to say it for him. All right, we made it through. Sorry about my Bigfoot rant. <laughs> just, I, I loved it. We went down a rabbit hole. There. We really did. Maybe we should talk about that on the check station. Hey, what is the check station actually? Little tease there. Well, if you made it to the end of the episode, we've got a new podcast. Whoa! Well, it's an offshoot podcast. Yeah, it's an offshoot, but it's it's, it's Subscri- a different name. It's subscriber only, though. It is subscriber only. So that's yeah. So that's the difference. The check station is really kind of a way for us to talk about what we're doing, our hunting adventures, but also to talk with listeners, kind of just be a little bit more informal. The name comes from the old deer check stations, game check stations, where you would go out, you'd hunt, 
everyone would have to bring their game, their harvest to the old school check station at the gas station or wherever it was. And then you'd walk by, you'd see everybody's trophies kind of lined up before they were getting checked. And then you'd hear stories. Yeah. And I'm sad that that's gone away. And that's gone. Well, we're, we're bringing it back. Cause, we are. Because you can check in everything on your phone now. Yep. And so as a way to kind of nod to that, but also, you know, kind of have a way for if you guys want more content, some bonus stuff, hearing about hunting in the Ozarks, fishing in the Ozarks from us um, with some of our guests, with listeners, stuff like that, that is what the check station is. And you can listen to it on Apple Podcasts. You can. Again, subscriber only, so you're going to have to pay for it, but that's where you will access it. Absolutely. If y'all like this episode, make sure you let us know. Send us a message or, you know, it goes a long way when you share it with a buddy. We'll see y'all on the next one. This podcast is hosted by Kyle V and Kyle Plunkett and produced by Daniel Matthews. For guest recommendations, episode ideas, and general questions, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram or email us at theozarkpodcast at gmail.com. Finally, we love making this show and being able to offer this podcast to y'all for free. But if you're listening and you want to support the Ozark Podcast to allow us to travel even further and meet more interesting people, head over to our Patreon and sign up to join our most loyal listeners. Let me tell you, these folks are 100% certified Ozarkans. And of course, we can't forget to thank our good buddy, J.D. Clayton, for providing the amazing music for today's episode. Check out his website to see where he's touring next at jdclaytonofficial.com.